you give our band another hand? Thank you for their investment. They meet for hours on end in the week, uh, and uh, just about everyone up here is a volunteer, and they are giving of their time, energy, and efforts to this to this cause because they believe in it. Uh, they believe in what uh, we're about. There's other things that I, I, I can I can say today that I believe pretty confidently in. And even if I don't know you, even if we've never met, there's a certain thing that I just know about humanity. And you can tell me if I'm wrong, meet me in the, uh, in the gallery afterwards and tell me if I'm wrong. But I think we're all on a quest. We're all on a quest in pursuit of love. I think we are all designed to love and we all desire love. We desire love like, like the ground desires rain, like, like the flowers desire the sun and, and it, we desire and we actually need it and we actually need to give it. It's not a, a, an intake only. We actually become better at love and receiving love when we give love. It's a pursuit. It's actually something that I think God has put in us, but I think sometimes we have made our pursuit of love the focus and rather than the essence of love. And in 1 John, it tells us that God is love. It says that anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And so if we understand the power of love and they understand we all desire love and to be loved and we all need to learn to give love in a good, healthy manner, then I think we're at least on the right track. But if we haven't found love, if we haven't experienced love, that's a different thing. It's hard to give what you don't have. And Mother Teresa said it like this, love is a fruit in season, at all times, within reach of every hand. Now, I wish that to be true, that love is within reach of every hand, but I think sometimes we miss love. And if we seek love, you may never find love. Realize that. You may never find the purest, most untainted form of love if you seek love. But if we seek God, we will hit love, we will find love 100% of the time. Because why do I say that? Because God is love and at his very essence. And so this is something I think everyone in this room, I don't care who you are, tall, uh, short, educated, uneducated, white, black, red, yellow, black or white, whatever, wherever you come from, we all desire and we're all pursuing love. Another pursuit that I think we all have, a quest that we have in life, is the quest for God. Uh, The quest for belonging, excuse me, the quest for belonging. I think that quest for God is tied back to love. And when we find God, we find love. But that quest for belonging, I want to belong somewhere. I want to be a part of something. I want to be included. I want to be seen as valuable in this thing called life. Uh, Chicago School of Business literally did a study one, one time, found that we become happier people just by greeting an absolute stranger on a train. Now, where they did this study, I don't know, but I thought it was a very interesting study. And But if we greet strangers, what does that do? That makes us happy, makes them happier, because all of a sudden we become a part of humanity. And becoming a part of humanity is a part of belonging, and we want to belong. And if we understand, again, go back to the origin of all of this, this is all originating in the Godhead, just like God is love, therefore, we're, and we're, we're pursuing love, we're actually pursuing God. So pursue God and you'll find love. Pursue love and you may never make it to God. But if you pursue God, you will make love. But also understand that community and belonging is a part of this. This is a life principle, that God made us in community 
for community. We were made to belong to something, to an organization, to a community, to a family, uh, to a tribe, if you will, out there. When God made us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, God said, let us, the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, let us make man in our plural image after our likeness. Now notice that the Godhead, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit got together in this great order beyond our, our, our comprehension and said, we're going to make mankind in our community and we're going to make mankind like us, making us for community. So he is, the Godhead is in community and he makes us for community. That was a part of the image of God that we were created into. We have been seeking community. We've been seeking belonging. We've been seeking love for, since the beginning of time. We, we join clubs and teams and gyms and sororities and fraternities and unions and guilds and organizations and political parties because there's this common ground that we belong to them, they belong to us. We find that common interest, that common uh, tribe, if you will. And there's this innate part of us that we're longing to be loved and longing to love. Now, last week, I, got, I tie this back to Ecclesiastes. So if you're just now joining us in our study through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, then welcome to this series called Margin. And we talked about last week in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, so you can be, begin finding that, um, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, we're going to look at uh, kind of as a review last week, because last week's message t- certainly ties into this week. We're literally picking up where the last verse where we left off, okay? Where we left off, we're picking right back up with that, but you gotta, cause you got to kind of tie the two together. When you look back at last week, you got to realize, again, we're talking about Solomon here. He's writing his memoirs. He's being very truthful and honest and transparent about who he is and what's going on and what's the disturbances of his own soul. Tommy Nelson said it like this, Solomon is more honest about life than we are sometimes. He's saying things that we think, but we don't say because we think we'll get in trouble if we say them. But he's saying them. He's, he's, he's saying things. Now, sometimes it's truth. Sometimes it's not truth. But he's sorting this out as he's writing it out. And, and, and so let's just enter into, it again, the emotions, the thoughts, the processes that Solomon, wise King Solomon, is going through. And if you, again, have Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Um, if you remember verse 1 of chapter 4, it was kind of a Debbie Downer kind of verse. It says, again, I saw all the oppression that are done under the sun, and behold... Tears of the oppressed. I saw the tears of the oppressed. And that they had no one to comfort them. But again, that's one end of the spectrum, the, the, the down and outs, the, 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 the ones who have tears, the ones who are broken, the ones who are at the bottom of society. Uh, they're being oppressed. And then on the other side, there are the oppressors, the mighty, the powerful, the ones who have the influence, the ones who have the, uh, the, the power and influence in our society. They have power. But even they... There was no one to comfort them. I think what Solomon was trying to t- communicate to us here is that this is world is a lonely place. We might exist. We might be connected. We might have friends and we might have followers. And we might even have fans. But do we have connection? Do we have belonging? Do we experience love at a deep 
level. You can be, again, the, the movie star, the famous one. Ashton Kusher said this week, somebody sent me an article this week online of Ashton Kusher making this statement, I miss having real connection. Now, I don't even know the depth and the breadth of what he was trying to talk about. But found the article, read a little bit up on it. But just that statement alone will tell you that you can be the movie star and be famous and be recognized as you walk down the streets and paparazzi chasing you. And still there is this innate desire inside of all of us to belong and to be loved. To belong and to be loved. And we have a desire for that. And I think Solomon points that out in verse 1 when he says that, listen, at this time, whether you are oppressed or the oppressor, whether you're powerful or you're the weak one, whether you're crying or you, you, have, you have power or the might in the community, listen, you need people around you. And we've been talking about having um, uh, this margin in our life, and we need to create margin for meaningful relationships. It's really where I want to kind of emphasize is that we are going to have to make space because what will happen if we don't make space for good, healthy relationships, what will, what will take over in our life are toxic relationships. And toxic relationships do not add value, do not strengthen us, do not make us better, do not make humanity better. Okay? And we have to assess the quality, not just the quantity, the quality of our relationships. Margin is the space between the loads and the limits and the Lord and his leading trying to balance all this out. And if you have a toxic relationship, what you'll have is you'll have somebody will drain from you, take from you, not add value to you. When you have a healthy relationship, you have value, you have the load gets lifted, not added to. When you have a healthy relationship, you have add life and don't take life away. And so valuable relationships are critical to having good margin in our life. And we're going to talk about that because this is what he says. Now, again, chapter four, you got to understand last week to get into this week and to appreciate this week. But chapter four, he kind of starts turning the page and talking about what's better. What's better? What's better? In fact, four or five different times, he will use the same Hebrew word in this chapter to talk about a better way, a better way, okay? And this better way will many times tie back to a better relationships. He says that in, in, verse, uh, in verse 9 today, he says, two are better than one, all right? It's probably one of the most famous chapters uh, or passages in all of Ecclesiastes is the one we're going to read from today. And that word better is the Hebrew word tov. All right? Didn't say toe. I said tov. Okay? Put a V at sounding at the end. It's actually a B. uh, But the way they pronounce the Hebrew language pronounces the B. It's a V. That even makes sense. It matters. Uh, But it's tov. It's the Hebrew word for tov. It's used over 400 times in in, in the Old Testament. In fact, one of the times that we know it best is in the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 1 when every time God made a, a day, God made a planet, God made a, an animal, God made a bug, God made whatever, what did he come back and say? It was good. He says it was good. At the every, end of every day, it was good. And he wrapped it all up and he said it was good. So when God made the world, it was tov, it was good. And so he, what he's trying to point, point us to is, hey, you want a better life? You want a tov? You want a... A good life, two is better than one. Two is better than one. Last week we talked about how uh, he uses the same word tov here in in Ecclesiastes uh, verse 6 when he says, better is a handful of quietness 
that there's a handful. It's the word tov there. So again, he's trying to build us into a better life, one with margin, because what has happened in our world? It's our theme verse for the entire study of Ecclesiastes chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 29. Read it with me out loud, okay? God made us plain and simple. That's what we want to move against. That's what we're going to have to change. That's what we're going to have to move away from is the complicated, complex life that we have made. And let's move back to the tove. Let's move back to the good life. Let's move back to the better life. And if we're going to move back to the better life, we're going to have to make some spaces. Okay. When we make space in our life, what are we going to have to make space for? For healthy relationships. Why? Because two are better than one. Two are better than one. Let's read the whole passage so we can get it in context. Again, coming out of this chapter four, let's jump in verse nine. Two are better than one because they have a good, they have a good, that's actually the word tove there again, good reward for their toil. And so what he's going to do is he's going to give us several uh, reasons, if you will, for why we are better together than we are alone. Lone Rangers, no, no, no. We're not looking for Lone Rangers. We're not looking for superheroes. This world does not exist by Lone Rangers and superheroes. That's all in fantasy land. But we live better together. Because there's a more reward for the toil. For if we fall, one, is, uh, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who's alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Although a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And a threefold cord will not quickly be broken. We are better together. Why are we better together? Well, I want to give you the reasons that Solomon gives us why we're better together. And he uses it in a kind of a metaphoric kind of way. He gives several examples and he draws it out from, again, everyday life, at least everyday life in that time and period of life. But it'll still make sense to us today. And he tells us why. And and I'll, I'll tell you right now, the first one I'm going to give you is not going to be the most romantic of all of them. Okay. But we ought to understand he's going to go very practical and he's going to go very deep emotional all in the same time. But there's a practical side of this too. One of those practical reasons why we're better together is that it multiplies our life impact. We are better together because it multiplies our life impact. I can reach more. I can do more when we do it together than when I do it alone. Again, he starts practical. He starts in a very measurable way, and he starts with this phrase out there, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Now, toil is not a new word for us. We have been looking at Ecclesiastes now for four chapters, and toil is used all the way through. Toil is basically what you do with your time and your life and your day. Whatever you're about, whatever you spend your energy on, whatever you focus on, obviously work would be one of those. Obviously domestic chores would be one of those. Obviously homework or schoolwork would be one of those. Those are the toils of our life. Now, if you remember, he's kind of been all over the page. You go back to chapter 1, verse 3, literally three verses into the entire book, and he starts off with, what does a man gain by all the toil? What does he gain? And he goes into this whole vanity spill, okay, this whole vanity rant. And sometimes you wake up in the morning and you go about your day and you end your day and you end your day and say, what did I accomplish today? 
exactly what Solomon felt when he was writing verse 3 of chapter 1. But then there's those days that, man, you knock it out of the park and you, you hit your goals and you make the A on the test or you, or, or you, your ACT scores goes to the roof and you think, oh, all that hard work paid off and you look at it and you go, and then you're writing Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 13. Everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. Cause this is a gift. Because this is God's gift to man. So literally, we have both kind of moods and, and emotions kind of you see that, that Solomon goes through here. And we want to increase the bottom line, whatever your bottom line is in life. And he says that basically, I become my best when I have good people around me. When I have good people, I'm on a good team. Again, two are better than one. Now, you maybe have heard the, the number one law of teamwork. It's not original with me, but it's the law of significance. And it says this, that one is too small a number to achieve greatness. So I'm going to improve my productivity in life whenever I have people around me. Now, where do I have these people around me? It could be your team at work. It could be, it could be a, a project at school. It could be, it could be uh, again, the team that you're on, it could, all kinds of things. But let's just look at our domains. We've had this margin audit out there. If you haven't taken it yet, maybe you will, maybe you won't, but it's out there. And if you want to understand where you're at and where you're weak and where you're strong and where you need to improve, what's not clear in your life, then you need to take the margin audit. But let's just talk about our margin audit. In our life, we become better when we're together because I become more productive. Let's talk about personal life. For example, here's just some examples of our, of our life. So here's one that if uh, you go to the gym, studies have shown that if you work out and you do physical exercise in a group of people, your intensity level goes up, your productivity goes up, you won't skip the gym or you won't skip the run or you won't skip the event because you know that there's going to be somebody there waiting on you. And if you're the one who goes into the gym with the earbuds in and the sweat towel on his shoulder and his water bottle in his hand and goes around like I used to do, looking at the, the gym equipment thinking, okay, what does that thing do if I do that, you know, to my body? And, you, and that's the kind of way you, you've, you, your modus operandum, then yeah, you might get some results. But for me, I need three, two, one, go in a group of people and then we hit the mat and we go for it. And I have seen greater results and people have found greater results in their life when they do it together because we're better together. There's a greater impact on our personal life. But what about your vocation? You're better together whenever you do things together. Think about Einstein. We think about Einstein as the great genius of life, but you realize that he was not successful in life until he was about 75. He was considered pretty much up until that time, pretty much a wannabe scientist who had a bunch of failures. But about 75, he wrote, I don't know, four or five or six different papers, and they became pretty successful, and he became known for them. But this is one of the statements that he makes about his own success in life. He says, many times a day, I realize how much my own outer inner life is built upon the labors of my fellow men, both living and dead. How earnestly I must exert myself in order to give in return as much as I have received. Here's the great Einstein who points to the fact that he is successful because other people are around him. Your family will be successful when you operate like a family. So it's not only personal, it's not only vocation, but it's also our families. Our families become more successful when we act like a family. Now, let me pick on moms and dads because it's mainly moms and dads in the room today. And I'll not pick on the kids so much today, but kids, this would apply to you, okay? 
It can apply to all of us. But in fact, I will say it like this, one of the, one of the challenges that a man gave me early on and are actually probably midway through our marriage uh, is that he said, is the work after five equal? See, I used to think when I came in and Lori was a stay-at-home mom and she was raising the kids that, you know, her job was the domestic engineer and my job was to make the money and bring it home. And so therefore she, she took care of the house and I took care of everything outside. And, and I kind of had this mentality that when I came home, I took my shoes off and I sat down and I waited for my meal to be prepared. Like a king. You see, you chauvinist pig. Lucky Lori stayed with you. That's right. I married above myself with a woman of great patience. But it was whenever I heard that statement, the work after five is it equal? Is the work after five is it equal? So when we both come in the house, we're both exhausted. And again, this could be applied in so many, and every, every scenario is different. And this is where kids, we come into play. Is everyone at five o'clock still working? Or is it social media time? Is it buying shopping online time? Or is it catching up with my friends time? Or is everything still happening? Because that's what we need to understand is if we're both working, we're both contributing, the family is better together. Hey, Valentine's Day this week, guys. Think about it. Don't get your wife Victoria's Secret. Get her dishpan hands. I know it's not very romantic. But a study I fumbled across literally just as early as yesterday said this. Said that women are less satisfied in the home when there's dirty dishes in the sink. Think about it. Literally, the research said a little bit more sophisticated than that. Research demonstrates that a division of household labor is associated with a couple's relationship quality. And basically, he goes on to say, breaks it down, that women who wash the dishes in the home have a vast majority of the, do the vast majority of the dishes in the home more, have more relationship conflict, less relationship satisfaction, and even worse sex. But if the man does the dishes in the home, cleans out the crudded sippy cup with the curdled milk in the thing, and the chipped on, baked on dishes. If the man does that, that actually every area of her life increases. So guys, give your wife that instead of Victoria's Secret this, this year. Just a thought. Community. Community. We're better when we're in community with one another. We talk about these domains. We're better whenever we come together as a church. As a faith community, this is one of the ways we connect. You're going to meet some people here in a few moments that have said God has led them to Grace Point Church, and we're, going to, we're excited to introduce them to you and pray over them and give them a gift and all this, all that we do at, at, at our time of commissioning our members. But let me tell you about Brian and Nikki Watts, who seven years ago became a part of Grace Point Church and wrote me an unsolicited email this week that I want to read to you, and she gave me permission. And, I, and I, if I can't say it any better than this, so let me just shut up and read it to you, okay? My husband and I have been attending Grace Point for about seven years. Since joining, we have been a part of three different communitas groups and have served in multiple ministries over the years. We've created margin in our lives to make group and serving in the church a priority for our family. It wasn't always perfect or easy. Sometimes it was a struggle and sometimes it was a highlight of the week. Sometimes it meant inviting people into our messy house. Sometimes it was praying you would have enough food to feed everyone. Sometimes it was being blessed with leftovers all week. Sometimes committing to serve one and worship one. That's on Sunday, serving one and worshiping one. 
was hard. And sometimes serving at one weekend and summer camp was downright exhausting. But we made it a priority. However, the blessing we have received through all of this have truly been immeasurable. For example, in the last few months, after a breast cancer diagnosis, and I will say this, it's a very aggressive form of cancer. Our family has been beyond blessed with so many prayers and meals. I know that at any point during this journey, if anything is needed, help is just a phone call away. This didn't happen just because we were members of Grace Point or that we have friends on the wonderful staff. This happened because we have consistently created margin in our lives and made a priority to live in transformative community with one another. Enough said. Give them a round of applause because that's what we're talking about. We're better together when we are a community together, but also spiritual. How's my life better spiritually? I have a group of men, six of them right now, that I meet with every Monday morning at 6 a.m. And I can tell you right now that I go in there not as Pastor Mike, I go in there as Mike. And if I go in there as Pastor Mike, I don't want to be a part of that group. I want to go in there as Mike, and I'm just simple Mike. Because here's what I realized, that I I need sharpening just like they need sharpening. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I need it, you need it, we need it. We're better together than when we're alone. Number two, we're better together because it encourages accountability. We're better together because it encourages accountability. Solomon valued accountability in his relationships. And you see it in Proverbs when he talks about the fool and he talks about the wise. Many, I can give verse after verse after verse where he talks about the fool and he talks about the wise. And many times it's about the wise, listen, but the unwise, the arrogant, the proud, the foolish, they have all the answers. Better, he uses the word tov in verse 27, or chapter 27, verse 5. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Proverbs 9, verse 8, he says, Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. See, a wise person will listen to reproof and accept it. And this is hard for me. And this is probably hard for a lot in this room. But when I am better together, I'm better together when I am humble in a relationship with other people. Verse 10, it says, for if we fall, one is there to lift up him who has, uh, lift up his fellow. And woe to him who has, who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. I wish that it said actually not if they fall, but when they fall. Because we're all going to fall. To some degree, we're going to trip, we're going to stumble, and we need one another, brothers and sisters, in our life, ready to be there with us and not abandoning us. That's what we need. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, it says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We are going to fall. If we're not careful, we are all one decision away from stupid. You've heard me say that before. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We have all fallen But he who trusts in his riches will fall. 
Just like Solomon speaks of, he speaks of here as well personally. In Psalm 145, the Lord sustains all who fall and rises up all who are bowed down. How does this happen? How does God rise in? How does God step in when I am broken and bowed down because I realize that I have fallen? How does he do this? He does it through the community called the church. When the church is the church and we're better together, we will not let one fall. We will not let, leave a soldier behind. We will not shoot our wounded. We will be there to pick them up when they fall because one of these days I will fall. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 to 3 says, Brethren, if anyone is caught in sin, caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, not rebuke, not judgmental. No. Each one looking out for yourself so that you too do not be tempted. Bear one another's Burdens, how many times do I say one another's in the scripture? Here it is. Transforming community with one another's. Here it is. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. It's the arrogant who's going to fall and have no one there to pick him up because he's walking it alone. The reason mountain climbers are tied together is to keep the same from going home. With a mountain of mercy behind us and a mountain of mission ahead. I need you, my sister, my brother. I need you tied to me. We need each other to keep from bolting and fleeing and returning to the sanity of unbelief. Number three, we're better together because it improves our survival. It improves our output. It also helps us whenever we do fall Together improves our survival. George Whitfield, I was reading a message on his this week on this very passage. George Whitfield was a pastor, was a teacher, was a preacher, was an evangelist in the 1700s, one of the greatest orators ever to preach on our planet, ever to walk on this earth. God just used him in a mighty way. We don't have any of his recordings, but we do have the results that came out of the great awakenings that God used George Whitfield. He refers to this passage as a spiritual warfare passage. That we have to be careful because as much as we have, we think we're going to make it in this world, we got to realize that the world and Satan is out to get us. And we have to be aware of that. What does he say in verse 11? Look closely there. It says, again, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? I can tell you of an incident that happened to me when we were missionaries in Zambia. It was winter time in Zambia, which is not exactly winter time here, but it does get pretty cold at night. In fact, I've never been more cold in my life than one of the times in the bush in Zambia sleeping in a tent. So I've never been that cold, never didn't sleep at all that night. Hoped I didn't die of hypothermia. One of those examples. So, uh, but anyway, their houses, if you're middle income, is at best a cinder block house with a tin roof. That's, that's middle income. Nothing closed in, nothing air con, nothing central heat and air, anything like that. So I was in uh, Colomo, this, the little town of Colomo, just north of where we lived in Livingston. And I was with two, two pastors, Jason Buepe and uh, Pastor Mafunga. 
And it was one of my first training times with these pastors. And I was able to sit down with them and spend some time with them. And, hey, I'm going to be here. So they invited me to sleep at their house, at his house, Jason Buepe's house. So I went to his house and we, 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 we made out our, 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 our mat. Basically, it was a two-room house. They had a, the kitchen, living room, and then they had one little bedroom off to the side. And so all the guys just crammed into this little bedroom. And I had my little mosquito net because I didn't want malaria. And I had my little cot. And I, I took up about half the room with all my American junk. Uh, and so I, I had my little safe little uh, abode there. And then I saw these two guys just get in bed together. Now, this is my first time in Africa, sleeping in an African's home. I thought, what in the world? I mean, this is just, I, mean, I was very uncomfortable. I mean, I knew not, Anyway, I don't sleep with men, okay? In a hotel room with a king-size bed, I will not. I'll sleep on the floor. Um, so these two men get in bed together, and I'm thinking, that's just weird. Man, I wouldn't be able to sleep all night. They went asleep immediately, and about 2 in the morning, I learned the value of sleeping with somebody because it was freezing cold in that house. They were snoring, cutting a rick of wood over there and under the covers. And I'm in my little mosquito net uh, tent and I am all safe, but freezing to death. So I think of that every time I read this passage of scripture, that whenever two are together, they keep warm. It increases our survivability in this world. This world is wanting to chew us up and spit us out. And we've got to understand when we are together, we're better, stronger, safer, more secure together. In one part, uh, one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all parts are glad, 1 Corinthians says. Together increases our stability. Not only surviving life, but actually stability in life. Whenever we come to this passage and you look at verse 12, he says, and though a man might prevail, might, 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 might not roll the dice against one who is alone. One-on-one, you might win. Two will withstand him. And three, cord is not quickly broken. Use the idea of braiding a rope together and how you might be able to tear one piece of strand, but you can't tear two, two, three, three, you get four or five. You start wrapping it together. You're not going to be able to rip that apart. You're not going to be able to tear that apart. When I think about the scriptures, when I think about, about what Moses had Aaron and Ur and Joshua had Caleb and Elijah had Elisha and John Mark had Barnabas and Paul had Timothy and Silas and the 70 had each other and Jesus had Peter, James and John. Why would I ever think that I could go it alone? Think about this is your life. And if you want to be alone, you can be alone. And, and the winds and the waves and the circumstances of life will just start breaking you with just a flick of the wrist, just actually a thumb. And it will be, first of all, maybe a job loss. And all of a sudden you feel like, I'm not wanted. And there'll be a broken trust who can you trust? And then it'll be, I don't know, maybe a financial setback. And then, man, can we make it? Can I make it? And all of a sudden, you'll just notice in the course of a, of a lifetime, I'm just a lot of broken pieces in a lot of places. But I can go it alone. I'm a lone ranger. I'm a superhero. 
right? And when you look at your life, maybe this is your life. Just broken. We're better together. How do we become together? Start with you again. So you get your life and go it alone. Or you can find a communitas group. Maybe that's going to be three, six of you guys. I got six right now. If you're in a couples group, you might have 12. Um, Let's say then you go a little further and um, let's say you find a place to serve somewhere. So this communitas group is not just a group of people that get together. This is a communitas group that I do life with, that, that we go through births, life, death, graduations, circumstances of life. You, you kind of live that kind of life. And these are, these are the people that are with you weekly, bi-weekly. You're all, you all know each other on the first name. You all have everyone's phone number in your phone. You're maybe in a group text together. But then you start serving somewhere in the church. And you meet a whole new group of people. Maybe you're on a team of greeters. And you're greeting at the front door every week. And you meet three or four more people. And, and if you miss, then, then, you're, then, then people miss you. But you've got, I don't know, let's, maybe, maybe, maybe not that many, maybe just four. Four people that you know of that now you're together. And you know them and they know you and you know each other and, you know, somebody's sick or somebody needs prayer, somebody needs prayer, then you have somebody to reach out to. You can go it alone or you can get you some people in your life that will go with you through life. But let's say then you go on a global adventure. I like to go on a group of, with a group about an ideal group is no more than 10, maybe 8 to 10. So let's add. Because what do you do on a global adventure? You get to know new people. Now, you might take some people that you already know that maybe is some overlapping here. And, but you go on a global adventure and you go around the world and you experience and you serve in different cultures. And you get to experience life together and you get to see God at work in ways you've never seen him work. And you're just building one on top of the other. But then maybe there's those 2 a.m. friends. You don't have a lot of these. If you have one, consider yourself lucky or blessed. If you have two, you're really blessed. I can say that I have two, maybe three, that I can call 2 a.m. friends. That I would not feel like I was encroaching upon them in any way by reaching out to them. Now, notice the difference between that. Can I take my thumb not even close. I might separate them and do it, but I can't. Can I take my two hands? A little crack. I do CrossFit. I think you get the point. We are better together. Are you going it alone? Are you doing it together? If you don't create margin for people in your life, you will go it alone. 